Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. your Bible out. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 and uh, or get your app out however you look at the Word of God. If you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And I'll tell you what, if if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word, especially if you'll read it on a regular basis. While you're doing that, I want to encourage you get your note sheet out. Like I mentioned during the announcements, uh, we're getting ready to launch our um, small group, our eight-week small group series. And we really, if this is your home church, I really, really hope and pray that you'll get in a small group. And we do sermon-based small groups. So here's what that means. The way that you prepare for your small group is to take notes, okay, and write down things that maybe God speaks to you or whatever, and that, that prepares you. And then we unpack the sermon in community and uh, and really apply it to our lives. So take notes, get in the habit now. You can also do that on your app, and, and that's a great thing to do. And then as a reminder, last week uh, I shared a little bit of vision about us adopting a new uh, campus in Smithfield. I'm not going to rehash that, but uh, if you missed it, yeah, the video, the three-minute video, three or four-minute video is online. I really encourage you to see it. I'm really excited about it. The leadership's really excited about it uh, as we have an opportunity to add through adoption to our family, campus family. And so we're really, really excited. And uh, I want you to see that. One of the great things uh, about having kids uh, when you're competitive at sports is especially basketball. I love basketball. I'm not very good at it. Uh, but for the first 15 years of my kid's life, I was totally dominant uh, when I played them. And uh, and I never let them win. And uh, I had no problem blocking their shots. And, and uh, just I was incredible when I played them. And so then something happened around 14 or 15. They started getting better. Uh, and it required more effort. And then the first time that my kids beat me, they legitimately beat me. And the first time they beat me was the last time I ever played against them. Okay. And so that's the honest to God's truth. Like after that, like, dad, you want to come out and play basketball? I'm like, I'm good, man. Come on, dad. I beat you last time. Yeah, I know. And that was it. Like we just ended right there. Like I knew they had like legitimately won and my day had come to an end. And with that in mind, we're going to talk about meekness. And so, um, Meekness is power under control, right? And uh, and so we, um, Christ was all powerful, yet he controlled his power, lim even limiting his power in some ways, uh, to fulfill the will of the Father. And so uh, we're going to talk about meekness. I, and I've asked this question two weeks in a row now, but like, who here doesn't want a God blessed 2023, right? As we launch into this new year. And uh, man, well, I think all of us, if we're honest, like it would be awesome to live under the blessing of God. And God actually gives that to us at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. 
and he tells us, man, this is how we have a blessed life. And so last week we looked at the first two verses of the Beatitudes. So here we go. Jump in with me. Matthew chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Jesus says this. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Like that's a really big promise, right? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Another really big promise to what Jesus says, hey, you'll be blessed. So let's dive in. Here we go. The word blessed. I mean the word meek. Number one, blessed are the meek. Let me define that for you. Literally, the word meek means a soft breeze. Isn't that a great word? Like there's just a there's a feeling of refreshment to that. There's a feeling of gentleness to that. There's a feeling of kindness to that. I mean, if you've ever been around someone that's meek, they're strangely welcoming and and strangely attractive to you in the sense that you just want to be around them. And And meekness, by the way, is not weakness. In some ways, this is the opposite or maybe the positive side of being poor in spirit. So Jesus starts out, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And we talked about how that's the the bankruptcy of soul because of sin and our need for the gospel of Jesus for us to uh, repent of our sins and believe and receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the opposite side of that is this idea that God has created you uh, with certain abilities, right? And and talent, time, talent, and treasure, I often say. Like, you have some things in God's grace that you bring to the table and meekness is that kind of power or uh, or properly stewarding what God has given you, the resources that God has given you, properly stewarding them, especially if your resources are greater than someone else's resources, i.e., me playing basketball with my kids was not particularly meek, okay? Um, so anyway, but meekness is kind of taking the things that God has given you and submitting it to him and using them in a controlled manner ultimately to bring glory to God. Now, this was quite shocking to these original hearers, okay? So meekness is the opposite of how the world thinks that you should use power or resources, right? The the, the the Jews, remember, Jesus here is probably talking mostly to Jews who were expecting the Messiah to come. And what is it that they were expecting the Messiah to do? They were expecting the Messiah to overthrow Rome, right? To throw off the Roman government. They wouldn't have to pay taxes. It's going to be great when the Messiah comes. Everything's going to be perfect. And so Jesus shocks them by saying, hey, the kingdom of God, the Messiah is going to bring the kingdom of God, and it's going to start with those who are poor in spirit and humble and mourning and meekness. The world laughs at that. The world does this. You, you don't inherit the earth by being meek, by controlling your resources. You inherit the earth with power and wealth and influence. And what's fascinating is Jesus says, if you want to live a blessed 2023, it's the you have to live and think the exact opposite of the way that the world lives and thinks. Jesus reminds us that blessed are the meek, blessed are those whose power and resources are under control, ultimately under the control of Almighty God. So let me give you some like really practical touches of what I see meekness as. Point number two, kind of the overflow of meekness. First of all, the overflow of meekness is using what God has given you 
to bring glory to his name. Do all things for the glory of God. Letter A. Point number two, do all things for the glory of God. In other words, everything in your life is an opportunity to worship the Lord. Everything. Everything. I remember when I was in high school, how many of y'all went to a church that had services Sunday morning and Sunday night? How many had those, right? So uh, so the Sunday night service was always really different from the Sunday morning service, and that's where they let the rookies do their thing. And so when I was in, in high school, we came back from a mission trip, my youth pastor said, hey, you're going to um, give the sermon tonight. And I'm like in high school, and I'm terrified. So, uh, so I defaulted to my favorite verse, and uh, my favorite verse, of course, has food in it because I love food. So here it is, all right? So 1 Corinthians 10.31, the Apostle Paul says, so whether you eat or you what? Drink, right? No matter whatever you do, you can do all for the glory of God. Why is that my favorite verse? Because God says, I believe Paul is teaching us, in the very basics of life, food and drink, you can worship the Lord, right? And if you've ever seen me eat, man, you put me in front of a cheeseburger with bacon and a big old bun and like some steak fries, I don't even know you're there, man. I'm focused on the food and the Lord, right? And we're just worshiping the Lord. It's amazing, man. I love to eat my wife. Last service was hooting it up because she knows I'm an aggressive, focused eater, okay? And, and, but here's what I learned from that verse. I learned from that that all of life is worship. All of life. Now, I call this time, this hour-ish time that we spend together, what do I call this time? What do I call it? I'm very specific. I call it corporate worship. I don't just call it worship. The reason I call it corporate worship is because the book of Hebrews tells us as Christians, we are not to forsake the assembling ourselves together. We're to assemble together. We'll worship the Lord through the word, through song, through prayer, through interaction, through fellow believers. We do that together as a group of people. I call that corporate worship. I attach the word corporate to it because I want you to know all of your life is worship. Tomorrow when you go to work, it's worship. Yes, you, you work for your boss, and you honor your boss. And yes, you work for a paycheck, which provides for your family. But like that's a distant second as working unto the Lord. Right? You work hard because the Lord sees 1 Corinthians 15, and the Lord rewards. You are worshiping the Lord by giving a good day's work tomorrow, rolling up your sleeves and hitting it hard, right? By the way, is, it, is anybody, this, is, this is new to the service. Has anybody noticed how customer service has just gone to blank? You know, right? I, I I would spend extra money to get good customer service, right? And you guys are, I'm not even going to name the restaurants. You know the restaurants have figured that out because they have a line out the door, right? Go work hard because it's worship. Did you know that when you raise your family, it's worship? Listen, I'm going to talk to the dads because I'm a dad and, you know, I don't know that I'm qualified to talk to the ladies, but, but in that regard, but as a mom, but dads, like, you're going to go to work. You're going to come home, you're going to be tired, and you're going to want to sit in the chair and veg till bedtime. That is not honoring the Lord in the home. You roll up your sleeves, you, you invest in the kids, you see what your wife needs, you, and you work hard because you're, you're not just getting through it. You're making disciples, and you're pointing your kids towards Jesus Christ. And when you do that, you worship the Lord. Amen? Use your free time. 
God gives us free time and to refresh us. To sa- there's a Sabbathing principle in free time. Yes, there's a place for free time. Not all of our time should be free time, but our free time is to get rejuvenated so that we can work hard at the things that the Lord has put our hands to so that we can worship the Lord. Listen, if you're single and you're dating someone, your sexual purity is worship to the Lord. Amen? And if you're married, your sexual intimacy is worship to the Lord. No amens. Listen, how many of y'all right now are like, we should go home and worship the Lord? And they're married, right? Like, amen to that, right? It's 1 Corinthians 7. You can take it up with the Apostle Paul, okay? The overflow of meekness, the overflow of meekness is, hey, everything that I have that the Lord's given me is, is an opportunity to serve him and worship the Lord. Letter B, uh, under number two, like, overflow of meekness is having a realistic appraisal of oneself. So in other words, meekness is God has given me certain talents and he requires interdependence of those talents. You don't have all the talents. You don't have everything, God. You you have a piece, right? That, that one of the by the way, one of the reasons God gives you a spouse is to help you have a realistic appraisal of yourself. Okay, so if you're not sure what piece, like that's why God gives you a spouse. Like, no, you ain't got that one all together, kind of thing. So that's really important. And there's interdependence in your home. There's interdependence in the church. No one person has all the talents. The whole body of Christ is necessary for us to function as a church. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. In other words, you have a talent, but it has to be a realistic, sober judgment, self-appraisal of what you bring to the table. And we work in interdependence, in meekness, because all of us are important for us to bring glory to God together, right? It comes with the tension of 1 Timothy 4, right? Where Paul says to young Timothy, don't let anyone despise you for your youth. But set the believers, set the believers as an, an example in speech, conduct, love, in faith, and in purity. He says, in other words, you do have something to bring to the table, young Timothy. Set an example to the believers. So le- meekness leads to a form of self-awareness, right? Uh, have you ever been around someone that's not very self-aware, right? Probably, honestly, there's a lack of meekness there. I, uh, my um, last service, my uh, my wife and my son were sitting together, and to my knowledge, they're the last two people actually watching American Idol. And so they're super excited for it to come out. And uh, every year when they watch American Idol, I can't help myself. I go to a computer somewhere, and I Google the audition of William Hung. Okay, I don't know how you remember William Hung. If you don't, like, Google it today. Get the five-minute version. It's super funny. He is, it's one of the funniest uh, auditions I've ever seen. He's one of the least self-aware people I've ever been. And the reason it's so funny is he comes with all joy and innocence during his during his audition, like thinking like he's going to be okay in this audition. The judges are not particularly kind, you know, whatever. I'll leave that between them and God, but it makes me laugh. So uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm kind of giggling. And, and they interview him. They ask him, who told him he could sing? And he said, well, my mom thinks I'm a pretty good singer. And so, listen, if you can sing and the only community feedback you've gotten is your mom, okay? You, 
you might want to broaden your community just a little bit, right, and get a little more feedback. But there is a piece to self-awareness that when we're meek, like, hey, here's what I bring, other people, community around us, uh, feeds into, man, am, is, is my talent that God has given me being used properly, right? There's a meekness in trusting God's timing. Let her see. Yes, you have talent, you have hopes, you have dreams, but there's a talent, there's a timing piece to that, right? you're running through your life thinking, well, no one ever asked me to serve wherever, fill in the blank. Man, I can't believe I haven't gotten promoted. I can't believe my house is as big as my siblings. I thought I'd be further along. I can't believe I'm still single. Whatever it is you're filling in the blank. Listen, there's a meekness side to our dreams and time, talent, and treasure that God's given us that we submit to his timing. And he will do with our lives as he wills to do. There's a letter D. Meekness is attractive to people that don't yet follow after God. I call that the lost, right? Meekness is attractive to the lost, letter D. The apostle Peter says this in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. And then he talks about how we should always be ready to give a testimony, share about Jesus. He says, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for any reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with, what are those last two words, church? Do this with gentleness and respect, right? There's a, there's a meekness, a kindness, a soft breeze, if you will, if we were to define meekness, around a Christian, even with dealing with people that don't believe exactly what we believe. We're to handle the truth of God. We're not to backpedal off the truth, but we handle the truth of God with sensitivity. We speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4. We're, we're not in the community as an arrogant sledgehammer, but truth that is gentle, right? Let me, let me just address something for a minute. We, uh, we live in a culture that's going 180 degrees away from the truth, right? truth of God's word. And I'm not saying that we back off the truth of God's word, but I am suggesting that some of the issues that our culture is facing is complicated, and you can't say everything that you need to say in 140 characters or less, right? Everybody with me on that? Like, we get on social media, and, just, and if you, you know, and ain't nobody reading your long paragraph anyway, right? And so sometimes I think we get on social media, and, and we think, man, now they know. And we blast it out there. And can I suggest to you, I think there's hints in Scripture that the way the gospel is spread is more like a leavening, which is relational, right? It's not, it's not behind the computer. Now they, I'll, I'll let them know, right? And that just feels oftentimes like a sledgehammer. I'm not saying they never do that and there's never a place for that, but I want to caution us. Like More often than not, the world is one over a coffee, over a meal, over a relationship, over serving and raking a lawn, whatever. Like it's it's one in relationship that we leaven the culture through kindness and gentleness. Yes, not backing off the truth, but speaking the truth in love. And so Jesus says, Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek for, here's the so what, for they shall inherit the earth. That is a really bold statement. The meek inherit the earth. Now, this is the opposite of how the world inherits, thinks they inherit the earth, right? Letter A, how the world inherits the earth. How does the world inherit the earth? The, 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 
the world thinks that they inherit all of the earth with their wealth and their possessions and their stuff and their power and their influence. And they do it with any means necessary. There's no justice or righteousness as a guy that's just get the most stuff, get the most likes, have the most influence. Listen, he who dies with the most stuff still dies. That's how the world thinks that they inherit the earth. Now, I'm going to use a big word, and then I'll make a, use a small word, okay? I think what Jesus is talking about here is eschatological. That's a really big theological word that means I think Jesus is encouraging us to be eternally minded. Everybody with me? The meek think about an earth that is coming, not the earth that is. So let me ask you a question. Is the kingdom now, is the kingdom of God now? Yes, right? Jesus, it is finished on the cross. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the right hand of Father, which means he's ruling in authority. Okay? So because the kingdom of God is now, if someone you know is sick, can we pray for healing? Should we pray for healing? Yes. Can God heal immediately? Yes. Does it mean that God is always going to heal? Yes. It's just a matter of timing, right? Because there's a not yet to the kingdom, right? So it's now and not yet. So he is going to heal. It just might not be here on this earth now, right? We pray for that, and sometimes the Lord in his grace intervenes. But it, the kingdom is now and not yet. And the not yet of the kingdom is now we have a deposit of the Holy Spirit in our lives which is an earthly comfort, but it's a reminder of all the amazing things that is yet to come. So check this out. Revelation chapter 21. The Apostle John gets this, I don't know, some kind of little glimpse into the throne room of God. It's really amazing. Listen to this. This should, this should just capture your heart and make you long for the day yet to come. Then I saw, the Apostle John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had what, church? The sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne. And this loud voice says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. By the way, last week, blessed are those who mourn. What did Jesus say? For they shall be what, church? Anybody remember? They will be what? Comforted, right? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, and neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? Those are the former things. The former things have passed away. And he who has seated, seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
And also, he said, I love this, it's like he's talking to the Apostle John, like, hey, you're not getting this, right? Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, I am, it is done, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but when we die, the Bible says, that when we know Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our soul goes to immediately be present with the Lord. But heaven is actually a holding tank until Christ fully and finally, when Christ returns and fully and finally and visibly establishes his kingdom. And then our soul will be reunited with a glorified body, a body that doesn't break down, a body that doesn't need medication, a body that doesn't need hip replacements, a body with no aches and pains, a body that will last forever and ever and ever. And he's taking us to this thing in Revelation 21 that he calls the new earth. And I don't know exactly what it will be, but it will be without sin, stain, and brokenness. And we will have eternal bodies for those who follow Christ in meekness. They will inherit the earth and it will be an inheritance that lasts forever and ever and ever. This day is coming, and this is the day that the meek live for. Amen? Anybody else excited? Kind of, yes. All right. Man, this is great news, guys. The meek live for an earth that's yet to come, and it is guaranteed. Like a bride adorned for his hus- her husband, man. It is going to be an awesome, awesome new earth that we will live forever. And in the meantime, as Revelation 21 suggests, that we're going to one day drink from this well that will quench our thirst forever and ever. In the meantime, our appetites, our hunger, and our thirst should be fixated on something. So check this out, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what, church? righteousness. And guess what? For those that do that, what does Jesus say? They will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You want to bless 2023? Get up every day and hunger and thirst for righteousness. One of the wealthiest most popular people of my lifetime wrote a song said, I can't get no, but I cannot believe you guys are singing the Rolling Stones at church. Jesus said, you want to be satisfied. Listen, this is a person that has everything the world has to offer, everything. And I think that song, he's being terribly honest. I think he got with his own soul at some point, and he said, man, I got it all, and I'm lacking something. Jesus says, because you focus on the wrong thing, Mick. It's those who hunger and thirst for Christ and his righteousness. Jesus here points to letter A, like a most basic, passionate desire. Like the same way that your your body pursues food, if it goes long enough, you'll be literally be starving. Like I can't wait to eat. The way your body gets so 
thirsty. I don't know if you've ever like gone on a long run and you forgot your water bottle. Or I remember when I was younger, we used to play like outdoor basketball on blacktops in the heat of the summer, and like you'd get done the game, man, and you go get that water bottle, right? And you just start to guzzle it, and and, and like and it doesn't even all go in your mouth; it runs down your shirt, and even that feels great because you're just so hot, you know. And you're just like, and Jesus says. I want you to hunger and thirst for righteousness like that, right? That is the kind kind of pursuit that I I want you to have for me, right? The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 42, says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Does your soul pant for God like that? past uh, Friday, I got an opportunity to play some golf with Pastor David down at uh, Hampton Campus. Him and I went out, and he invited a buddy of his named Dave, actually. And uh, we were you know, playing up near uh, Fort Eustis, and there was, uh, by the green, there was this, every service I get it wrong, there was a group of deer, group herd, right? Group herd. I mean, deer herd, right? Is that right? Deer herd. I keep wanting to say flock. So there's So if I say that, you know what I mean, okay? So and so there's this group of deer, they're herding there by the green, and Dave, this guy Dave, he hits this really great golf shot, and it lands right on the green, they're right on the edge of the green, and it startled them, and I think they, I don't know what deer think, but I think they thought they were probably being shot at, because it just landed with a thud, and all of a sudden, this group of deer, this herd of deer, 20 or 30 of them, they just come running across the green, and they're running literally right by me. It was really cool. And as they're running, I hear them panting. They're running, and they're going, <laughs> and of course, my mind's like, oh my goodness, I'm preaching on this. I should play more golf more often, maybe I have better sermons, you know, kind of thing. And that's how my mind went, like the church should send me golfing more. And so then they're running, you know, and, and, and it got me to thinking about Psalm 42, like as the deer panted for the water, so my soul longs for you. And it got me thinking about where most of us are, at least where I can be, like, like I'm panting after money, right? Man, if I could just, you know, get more money and and then like I don't know how much you get and you need to be satisfied, but to my knowledge, like you never really get satisfied, right? Because there's something in your soul that money is never gonna fill. Some of you are here and you're, you're, you're panting after sexual pleasure. And you're like, man, why don't I ever get filled? Because that won't do it. And, and some of you are like, man, if I'm single and if I could just find someone that would fulfill me. And la- I'm going to talk to ladies for a minute. Like, you know, and certainly the guys too. But like, ladies, like, there's no guy that's going to fill your soul. He's as messed up as anybody else. Amen. Like, you need, like, find a guy that's feasting on Christ, and you're feasting on Christ, and, you know, and that'll be great, but it still doesn't fill your soul. Like, you know, you're just going to be like these deer, right? And some of you are trusting your heart, or you're pursuing your dream, or living your truth, and you're running, 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 and like these deer that, like, never get satisfied. You're like, why don't I ever get satisfied? And it's because only Jesus and his righteousness will fill you. Amen? So listen, at the end of the service, like, if you're here and never given your life to Christ, and you're like, man, that's me, like, I'm just running through life, and I'm just panting, and I never, never just, never get solved or filled. Listen, our prayer team at the end of the service, they would love to talk to you about how to re- repent of your sin and believe in Jesus. Which, by the way, like, the Beatitudes are, they're like the intro to Jesus' sermon. The rest of the sermon is unpacking these questions and these blessed statements. 
So the next two chapters are Jesus' entire sermon, and he just unpacks these. And one of them, in Matthew chapter 6, he's unpacking this idea that if you think you're going to inherit the earth with stuff, you're going to be anxious. And he says, why are you anxious about what you will eat or what you will clothe your body with? He goes through all these things, and he's like, look, you're worried about all this stuff. The flowers better looking than you anyway. And I, you know, I take care of them. And the birds, they got their home and their nest. And I know about every single one of them. Why are you worried about all the stuff inheriting the earth? That, like the people that don't know God worry about them. Why are you worried about them? And by the way, and I got Pastor Dave, the, our great biblical counselor here, and he knows that not, when God tells us to turn away from something, we also have to cut off and we have to put in. Like you just can't leave a vacuum in your soul, right? And so Jesus says, yes, don't get anxious like everybody else. And then he says, but here's what I do want you to focus on, right? And so Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 is one of my favorite verses. He says, but instead, instead of being anxious about all the things of the world, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. God and his righteousness. And if you'll do that, what does Jesus say? All these, what? All these things will be added unto you. Listen, I, I've told you this before. Like, this was probably one of my guiding verses in bringing up my kids. And the reason is, like, and, and listen, I, your kids, I get it. Like, you want them to get a job and find a great spouse and you know, whatever, have it better than you. I always hear that, like, you know, man, I want my kids to have it better than me. I never really felt that, whatever, I don't care. But, you know, it's like, just kidding. Take that off the video. I, that's probably shouldn't go out in public. Um, no, but, like, you know, we all want that for our kids, right? Like, and, and, and so suddenly we take secondary things and we make them first place things. Like, man, get, you got to stay in school. You got to get the education. You got to... You know, get this, get a nice house, start saving for retirement, you know, rock, water, whatever, all this stuff. And suddenly, we, we are the messaging that our kids hear is that secondary things become primary things. Listen, I would tell my kids, listen, really, I really mean this. Seek first the kingdom of God. Like, really, make that your driving number one above all else passion. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he's going to bring you a godly spouse, and he's going to help you get a job, and I know you're going to be successful. And why do I know you're going to be successful? Because if you're following Jesus, you won't be lazy. And lazy people get promoted, all right? And so, you know, and so, see, listen, See, I really, I, here, I really believe this. You want to know why I really believe it? Because Jesus said it. And so I've really pummeled into their heads, and now they're older and adults, and they got to do adult things. But I'm like, look, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and indeed, everything else that you're worried about will be added unto you. Amen, church? As the deer panteth for the water. So, you know, we, when we know Christ, what gets replaced, let her be, the desire for sin gets replaced with a desire for righteousness. And, and by the way, this is, a, this is a process. And I'm going to talk about that process here in a moment. But this is the process. We, 
theologically we call sanctification, where we're, we're growing in holiness and righteousness. Sometimes we trip and fall, and then we got to be reminded of the doctrine of justification, of who we already are in Christ, right? And then we grow in righteousness, and sometimes we stumble and fall, and then we come back to, oh, who this is who I am in Christ, because I've been declared righteous justification, and then we grow in holiness and righteousness. But at the end of the day, the question is, are you being satisfied with Jesus Christ alone? And so I, I want to finish with this this morning. Point number five. This is a terrible point. I could have worded this way better, but it, it's a good point. It's just not worded very well. Okay, so number five. Here it is. Ready? What I want to do is I want to ask you five questions. I want to hold up what I'm calling the practical mirror of growing in hunger for Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I want to ask you some questions as a mirror to say, man, am I, is my soul above all else panting for Christ and his righteousness? So here it is. Question number one. In your life, is there a growing dissatisfaction with your own self-righteousness? book of Isaiah, verse 54, says that the very best that we do in the presence of God is like filthy rags. So, in other words, are you still kind of like, hey, God, look at all the good stuff I'm doing? This goes back to last week. Like, until you understand that you're poor in spirit and God is holy and your good stuff is tainted with all kinds of sin issues, you are not going to know how much you need the righteousness of Jesus credited to you by grace through faith. Until you recognize me, I really indeed have nothing. Number two, is there a growing freedom from dependence on external things and external praise? Is there a growing freedom of, you know, I really don't need all that stuff. It's nice if I have it, but it doesn't satisfy me. And is there a growing freedom from... It really doesn't matter if anyone sees the things that I'm doing. God sees and God rewards. By the way, that includes your spouse. They don't, they don't know what I do. Is there a growing freedom from external praise? Number three, do you crave God's word and living according to his word? Is there a growing, like, man, I want to know God, I want to know his word, and I want to live according to his word? Number four, is there a growing pleasure of the things of God? Which, by the way, if we love Christ, we love what Christ loves. We're talking about that in the context of righteousness here this morning. But it also includes what I talked about two weeks ago. If we love Christ, we love what Christ loves, and Christ loves his church. Like, is there a growing, like, man, I want to be a part of my church because it's, it's the vehicle that God uses to spread the gospel. It's the vehicle God uses to spread the kingdom. Listen, if that's you and you want to onboard, we got February 4th, we got our way our coastal class. Sign up, join us, do our connect, grow, serve discipleship process so that you can grow in the Lord. And number five, letter E in my notes, okay, number five. Is there a growing obedience to God and his word, no matter the ask. If you're here this morning and you're dating someone, and the scriptures tell us we're to date in sexual purity, and that hasn't been your dating journey, would you be willing to say, hey, i got to break up with this person until I can first seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? If you're walking and there's a temptation that's overtaking you, causing you to sin and this temptation is a private sin and it keeps coming up and it keeps, it's only going to remain private for so long. The Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. Would you be willing to say, hey, you know what? 
I'm going to go get accountability. I'm going to tell someone I trust, a brother or sister in Christ, and I, I, I want the sin out of my life so badly that I'm willing to bring the darkness to light so that I can walk in holiness and righteousness. I'm not even going to preach a message on giving. Like, am I willing to part with some of my financial resources to honor the Lord in giving? Speaking of football and the Dallas Cowboys, um, I'm a professional communicator. I work hard on transitions, guys. So uh, there it is. Um, Does anybody know the all-time NFL leading rusher? Anybody know the all-time NFL leading? Anybody? You've sat in three services. That's not fair. Emmett Smith, anybody know how many yards on a football field Emmett Smith ran for? Anybody? One one more of those, you're in big trouble. All right, you're taking all the fun away. All right. Emmett Smith, in an 18-year NFL career, rushed for 18,000 yards. These guys just want to sing. All they care about is using their gift. Okay, so just kidding. They're humble guys. They are humble and meek. All right. Here's what that means. Emmett Smith, in his 18-year career, ran 10 miles on an NFL football field, right? Now, he did it, he averaged, so if you don't understand football, look at the people who do and just say, oh, they get what Pastor Sean's talking about. Okay, so he did it by running 4.2 yards a carry. So he ran 4.2 yards, he would get tackled, he'd get back up, he'd get the ball again, he'd run another 4.2 yards, he'd get tackled, and he did this, you ready? Almost 4,400 times on his way to 10 miles on an NFL career, NFL field, all the way to the Hall of Fame. He got tackled 4,400 times on the, on the road to running 10 miles on an NFL field. Isn't that cool? How many of you, you're a Christian, you've been declared righteous, you've been justified, and now you're growing in holiness and righteousness, and you feel like your growth is like a 4.2-yard run, and then something or someone knocks you down, right? And how many times do you get knocked down and you're like, I don't feel like getting back up. You think Evan Smith ever had one of those? Like he got his, you know, bell rung and he's like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. He wouldn't have been a Hall of Fame running back had he stayed on the ground. Listen, when we get knocked down, we remind ourselves of the doctrine of justification. We're not earning God's righteousness. It's been gifted to us. We're reminding ourselves who we are in Christ. You have a new name. You're part of a new family. And as the new family, the family name is holiness and righteousness. And so I get back up, ask the Lord to forgive me, and I sprint as far as I can. And by the way, not every one of his runs was 4.2 yards. Some was one yard, some was five yards, some were probably 60 plus yards. You sprint as hard and fast as you can, and you probably, Lord, I pray it doesn't happen, but you're probably going to get back knocked down. And when you get knocked down, you dust yourself off, you remind yourself who you are in Christ, and you continue to sprint in the process of sanctification. Amen, church? Listen, Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, I want to tell you something. We don't stagnate our way to holiness and righteousness. At the root of a follower of Jesus, what does Jesus call his followers? He calls them disciples. 
at the root of the word disciple is a word. What's the word? It's discipline. We discipline ourselves to holiness and righteousness. Now, a lot of coaches, I hear this talk a lot, and I love it, actually. A lot of coaches will say, hey, guys, girls, in our practice today, I want us to get, I don't want us to become, you know, if you play basketball, I don't want you to be Michael Jordan today. I want you to get 1% better. And if we do 1% better after each practice, by the end of the year, we'll make significant improvements. And so here's the so what, right? I want us as a church to be blessed this year. I want, us to be, I want you to be God-blessed. And if we're going to be God-blessed, Jesus said, blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he says, those that do that, guess what they'll be? They will be what? They'll be satisfied. And so here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your note sheet out. And I want you to get, I want you to get a pen out. Get your note sheet out. Come on, everybody do it. Get your note sheet out and get your pen out. I know you already put them away. Like, oh, once soon as you said this is the last thing, I put it away. All right, I hear all that. All right, so go ahead. Get that out. I want you to write down one thing that you're going to do this week to be 1% better. I want you to write down this week, hey, this is going to be my 4.2 or 4.3 yard sprint. Listen, I'm, I'll talk to the men for a minute, and this certainly applies to women. One of the things when I'm discipling men, I say, men, godly men read. Godly men read. I can't read. I'm not much of a reader. Listen, I'm not, by the way, I ain't talking about Harry Potter. Okay, I'm talking about spiritual-minded books that turn our attention to Christ. Did you know that if you read five pages a day, take you about five to eight minutes Take the weekend off. You'd read between 13, around 1,300 pages a year. That's six to eight books a year. So maybe your sprint is, I'm going to start reading five pages a day this year, this week, okay? Maybe it's, I'm going to pray. I'm going to set, I'm not much of a prayer. I'm going to set my watch, and I'm going to pray for five minutes a day because I want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to memorize a verse of Scripture. I'm going to fast one day a month. I'm going to join a small group. I've, Pastor Sean gets up here and yells about small groups. I've never joined a small group. I'm going to join a small group. I want you to write down your, your 4.3-yard sprint that says, I want to discipline myself so that I can begin to grow in hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Amen, church? So write it down. And let's pray. And I want to pray over. So here's what I want to do. If you're on the prayer team, I want you to come on up right now. Prayer team, come on up. If you need prayer before you leave today, don't ever, ever leave Coastal Church without getting prayed over. And I want to pray for the thing that you wrote down. And I want to pray that God gives you in his grace and strength the ability to sprint towards hungering and thirsting for righteousness so that we may be satisfied. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, I love these people. In fact, even just walking up here today, man, it's just so humbling to, to preach your sermon, God. This is the sermon that Jesus preached. It's incredible. You want your people to be blessed. But you don't want us captivated by the trappings of the world because like those deer who aren't satisfied. We just run through life panting and panting, and you want us satisfied in Christ alone. God, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, 
Help us to be a people that no longer trifle with sin, but to pursue the righteous character of you in Christ. And God, we've written down something like, this is a discipline we want to add, God, to grow in righteousness. God, by your grace and mercy, may you help us to accomplish it. And when we get knocked down, dust off and do it again so that indeed our souls will be satisfied. That we would be a people that seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, trusting that all the other stuff that we need to get through life will be added unto us. And we remind ourselves as we leave today in song that we cannot do this without you, O Lord, that we indeed need you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.